Phoebe Alston, thank you so much for joining us on Poured Over, the Barnes & Noble podcast. Your debut middle reader, Amari and the Knight Brothers, is the overall winner of the Barnes & Noble Children's and YA Book Awards. It's also first in a series. Number two is coming in April 2022, and we cannot wait. And it's been a New York Times bestseller for 27 weeks as we're taping this. Amari and the Knight Brothers has been out for a minute, Mm -hmm. but we were hoping you might walk us through what it's like to create a new series for readers who are 8 to 11, 8 to 12. Is that what we're talking Mm -hmm. about with middle readers? It's been a bunch of fun. I had a bunch of fun writing it. I had a bunch of fun editing it. And uh, just seeing people's reactions has been a lot of fun too. I get so many messages from kids and educators and adults. And it's been really cool to see what they liked about it and the stuff that they're like, oh, I can't wait to see if this happens in book two. That's really fun too. It's obvious that you've been having fun. This is where I get to shout out to the Barnes and Noble in Columbia, South Carolina, the Forest Acres store. You mm-hmm. wrote this book or large pieces of this book in the cafe at that Barnes and Noble. I, was, I, wrote, I wrote most of it there. My wife, she was doing uh, nursing school at the time. And so we would go there together and she'd study and then I'd write. It's a great atmosphere. In that store, they have famous authors like all around the walls. And so you just kind of feel that vibe of like, wow, you know, like almost like they're there with you. And then you're surrounded by books and it's just such an inspiring place to be, especially when you're writing. It's one of my favorite places to write to this day, actually. (laughs) That's awesome to hear. Mm -hmm. How many countries has Amari been published in now? 27 or 28. One of those two numbers. I can't remember the exact number, but it's either 27 or 28, <laughs> which is crazy to me. Like I never had any any kind of dream that it would even get that worldwide. So that's that's pretty crazy. And this is your first book. It's been, a, it's been a kind of a whirlwind. Like even when, like I said, even winning the Barnes and Noble Award was like wow. Me sometimes you have the Pinterest stuff. Like is this real life. Really exciting. It's really exciting for readers who might not yet have met Amari. And I'm using readers loosely here because we realize we're talking to the adults in the room. Mm -hmm. (laughs) We're talking to moms and dads and guardians and grandparents and aunties and uncles and educators and even older siblings. We're talking Mm -hmm. to the adults who buy books for little people. Mm -hmm. So we are still going to stay spoiler free because that's just fun. Okay. What made you want to write for children? Well, first of all, it's just some of my favorite books to read since I was little. I, I, I kind of never stopped just because with kids books, you get to have you get to go so far with your imagination and, and things are still so fresh for that age group. And one of the reasons I wanted to write it was because middle grades, right, right at that age where you're kind of starting to form your own opinions and see the world. Of course, your mom and dad is still a huge influence, but you're finally you're starting to go out. And you're starting to say, OK, what do I think about this and what do I think about that? And so that's just such a fun time to explore, especially with Amari. She's found out there's this whole hidden world. And, and that's kind of what you're doing as a middle grade kid. You're going out and you're kind of saying there's a whole world that maybe you didn't know about when you were in elementary school and you were up under mom and dad the whole time. And so I thought that was just a fun thing to play with. My favorite things to read, I can remember Charlie and the Chocolate Factory when I was little. That was a huge book for me. I kind of really related to him because he was kind of a kid from my background, a really modest background, but that didn't stop him from hoping for better things and dreaming for better things. And so the idea that there was this place in the world that was so magical, like the Chocolate Factory, uh, that's a huge inspiration for this book. That's just my favorite type of book to read. <laughs> One of the things I love about Amari and the Knight Brothers, you have this great line where you describe Amari as a girl who tries. Mm-hmm. And I think that's such a wonderful line. You call the series Supernatural Investigations. Mm-hmm. Amari is your main character. She's a 12-year-old girl from the projects in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. How did this start for you? Did it start as a series? Was Amari the first character who showed up or did her brother Quentin show up first? Let's talk about structure. Let's talk about the series, but let's do it in a way that doesn't give any of its secrets away. 
Okay. So when I first started writing this book, I was actually in the middle of doing my pre-med classes. I, I kind of got in my head. I was like, I had tried writing for a while and I was like, you know, it's probably not going to work for me. So let me do something, you know, I know it's going to you know, lead to somewhere. Right. And so I started by doing, I was doing those long science classes. I did really well in them, but they're super boring. Let's be honest. And so I had this idea one day as I was studying, like, what if it meant in black? What if it wasn't just the aliens? What if it was all the things we consider myths and legends? How would the agency be different? How would that handle that? I also just kind of worked on the world for a few months, just kind of played around with like, okay, how would this department work? And how would that department work? And what would the hierarchy be in that place? And then maybe a few months later, is when Amara just kind of popped into my head out of nowhere. She was a kid from my background and I knew how she talked and how she thought and how she saw the world. And so once I had Amara, it was just like, well, I can't not tell the story now. So I put those two together. I put her in the world and then we kind of went from there. It's been a lot of fun just exploring her journey, even though it's a story about, you know, myths and magic and all this supernatural stuff. It really just boils down to like a kid just kind of learning to believe in himself and kind of learn to accept himself too. And that's the same journey I had when I was her age. I used to go to these science camps and it was on the affluent side of town. I would go there and I'd be like, wow, this is like a different universe, you know, from where I'm from. And so that's a lot of where it came from. Just kind of learn to accept yourself, kind of define yourself and learn to believe in yourself too. And your world building is spectacular. <laughs> Can we talk about how you built the world of supernatural investigations? Because there's a lot of detail. There's mm -hmm. a lot of relatability mm -hmm. between well, Amari's experience as a student and she's finding her way at this special school. I started off with the world first. So a lot of it was just, we just playing around with the world. So by the time Amari came along, so much of the world was built already and just kind of, kind of put her into it. And so a lot of those like fun little details were just stuff that I was just having fun with before I even had a character. And so when Amari got into the picture, it was like, okay, so how can I make her story relatable both in her, her natural world and then also in a supernatural world. I tried to kind of ground it in reality a little bit. You know, it's easy when you get in those supernatural worlds, kind of go so far off that it doesn't even resemble real life at all. And so I, I wanted to kind of ground it in reality where even though all these fantastic things are happening, it still felt like a real place where real people were at. And I think anywhere you go, people are going to be people, right? And so she learns to deal with that and overcome the stuff. I think that was really important in her story. And she's got some great friends, actually. Mm -hmm. She's got some great friends. She's got a couple of friends that aren't friends. <laughs> for sure. And the adults are rooting for her. Mm -hmm. Her grownups are rooting for her. It's very sweet. She's the one who's saying, hey, I have a plan. I don't think we're spoiling anything by saying she's looking for her older brother. Mm -hmm. And that's a whole story. And we yeah. find that out on their own. She's a very clever kid with a lot of self-doubt. Mm -hmm. But she's in the right environment. Mm -hmm. And I think that's so important because I think when you're that age, it's so easy to let other people define who you are and, mm -hmm. and buy into the stereotypes. When you look on TV, you see you're portrayed a certain way in, a, in maybe the media or in, or in a movie. It's so easy at that age when you're still learning about yourself and you're still trying to figure out who you are to say, OK, maybe that must be me, man. Maybe that's how I'm supposed to act. And so when she's starting off at this school and she really doesn't fit in and they're saying she's not as good as they are. As much as she fights it, a part of her kind of still believes that. And then that kind of hurts her self-confidence. And so... When she gets to the supernatural world, kind of just carrying that on and having her overcome that was huge. And I think the big part of that is just having friends and having people root for you. She has a really good friend named Elsie. They're both kind of outcasts in a way. Elsie's not as much of an outcast as she is. But I want to show how important it is to be that kid who reaches out to that maybe that kid who's having a hard time and say, come with us and kind of put your arm around their shoulder and take them in. And I think that was huge for Amari. And that's huge for kids in general. And then having supportive adults. She finds that some adults that don't accept her and there are some adults that mm -hmm. do accept her. But I think having that support is so important. And, and I want to show that in the, in the story. So hopefully that comes through. <laughs>
<laughs> it does. It's really fun watching Elsie and Amari, watching both of them find their voices mm-hmm, because sure. they're both figuring out what it means to be part of the school and part of this community. Absolutely. And how to be friends. Especially Amara. She's come from a place where she doesn't have a lot of friends. And, you know, she makes mistakes with, with trying to be friends with Elsie. And she has to like, okay, I need to, I need to apologize. I didn't do that right. And I think just being able to admit that you made a mistake is such a big part of growing up. Mm-hmm. And I want to make sure that was incorporated in the book too. There's a fun paragraph that you have early in the book where you're talking about some of the noteworthy agents mm-hmm. of the Supernatural Investigations Bureau. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I just want to run through this list with you because one, it's really fun. And two, I have a question. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> so noteworthy no worthy agents, Beowulf, Captain mm-hmm. Ahab, Abraham Van Helsing, which if you've ever read Dracula, what have you, you know, the Van Helsings mm-hmm. and some of his descendants show up in the book. We will say that mm-hmm. Captain Nemo, Dr. Mm-hmm. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, part-time researcher, part-time agent, <laughs> Sherlock Holmes, Mm-hmm. Maria Van Helsing, who's a character in the book, and also Quentin Peters, who's Amari's older brother. He's also a character in the book. Mm-hmm. But I have to ask about Ahab. <laughs> I get all of the other. I really understand. Absolutely. I understand uh, Beowulf and Van Helsing. And <laughs> Ahab made the list. Really? I kind of put a twist on those characters. So maybe uh-huh. the Ahab that in Moby Dick is the exact same Ahab. I just thought, you know, he's, he's out here trying to get this whale. And maybe in this world, the whale is you know, really doing some horrible things. And he's being heroic, trying to stop it, even though maybe the real version wasn't as heroic. <laughs> and so I just thought it was a like kind of fun little, little play on a little twist. <laughs> It's it certainly got my attention. I mean, yeah. that was one of the first questions I wrote down. As I was reading. <laughs> it's like, Ahab, really? I used to be one of those people who reread Moby Dick every year, and now <laughs> I don't quite have the time that I used to, but mm-hmm. I love that book. And I always thought Ahab was kind of a maniac. So it's like, I have to ask oh, sure. about this. <laughs> entirely sure. <laughs> I'm not entirely sure what's going on here. Let's talk about your influences for a second, because obviously Nemo, Jekyll and Hyde, mm-hmm. um, you have been a reader your entire life. That's obvious. Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Mm-hmm. The minute you said that, of course, that makes all of the sense in the world. Mm-hmm. But who are some of the writers that made you want to be a reader? And who are some of the writers who made you want to be a writer? Man, there's so many. I think they kind of both go together, honestly. You know, when I was a kid, I can remember the first fantasy book I ever read was Where the Wild Things Are. And I remember that just kind of captured my imagination as a kid, like, wow, you know, this island where all these wild things are. He goes there, he, they become the king. I think from there, it just kind of sparked my love of fantasy. And since then, that's been, you know, one fantasy book after another. Everything from the Harry Potters and the Percy Jacksons and all those really huge franchises. I think just those books, they kind of captured my imagination in such a way that when I started writing, I want to write fantasy books too. I want to make my own little world where I could kind of set the rules and have all these amazing things happen. And I mean, there's been so many. I mean, the Night Circus was one I really loved when I was, when I was a little older. Gosh, so many. I love the fact that The Night Circus was one of those books for you. Oh, I love that book. Yeah. Right? Erin, Erin, she's got it going on. She can Yeah. And then and not even just books, you know, like even movies like Star Wars mm-hmm. and, you know, just those huge franchises and Marvel. And I was a big comic book reader as a kid, too. So all those like big, huge franchises were really popular. I was, I was a huge fan of. Anything with any element of fantasy or science fiction kind of captured my imagination. I just wanted to do the same thing, hopefully write stuff that sparks a kid's imagination. That's kind of where that came from. So story really matters for you. All of those properties that you're talking about and all of those books, it's story. The characters mm-hmm. are great, mm-hmm. but they also really need their stories. Absolutely. I, I think that's what it boils down to, right? Like 
you know, having a story that just kind of makes you forget about the, the real world for a minute. I think any story that can do that is a story you're going to remember, a story you're going to love, and it's going to mean something to you. So if you can write a compelling story, I mean, character is super important too, because you, know, you, you have to care about the character, care about the story. Just giving them something to do that's fun and they change in a meaningful way, I think that's really important. I have a couple of five-year-olds in different households that I'm waiting for them to turn eight. I'm <laughs> desperate for them to turn eight so I can give them a mark. <laughs> They're very cute at five. Don't misunderstand me. And I'm, I'm enjoying them at five. But Amari also feels like a book that an eight-year-old can pick up. And yes, it's nice to have an adult read to you when you're a tiny person, mm-hmm. but there's a lot of cool stuff that happens when you pick up that book for yourself. For sure, for sure. And you dive in and you say, oh, wait, Amari, I I get this girl. She makes sense to me. (laughs) And maybe I haven't had her adventures, but Mm -hmm. I have my own teachers. I have my own parents. I have my own siblings. Oh, Mm -hmm. this kind of makes sense to me. Yeah, I think that's a huge point for a young reader. Absolutely. So what's your editing process like? Do you just draft, 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 draft? Are you drafting in a linear fashion? Are you doing chunks of the book and then moving it around? What does it look like when you're in Amari's world? I wish I had the talent of like just writing the scene and then mm-hmm. like skipping around, but I'm so chaotic as a writer already that would just like throw me all the way off. <laughs> so I start off with a zero draft. I'm just like the just the big elements, just the, the, the big stuff that happens. And I write that out and that's usually really short. And then from then on, I'm just kind of adding to it, adding, you know, the emotional arcs and the character arcs, making sure that those scenes they actually connect in a way that makes sense. And so for my zero draft, it's, it's usually pretty short. I'm just kind of adding on to it until we get to a big story length. And then once I get that, it's just kind of refining everything down to a story that flows in a way that's um, pretty smooth. Hopefully that's readable. And that's really pretty much it, honestly. I start short and I add. And then once I've got the full story, you know, just kind of find those details and making sure those moments hit the way I wanted them to hit. So that's pretty much the editing for me. Did you have an idea, though, when you started the series that it was going to be three books and that you sort of needed to have a world building Bible for the three when you started? Or are you approaching each installment separately? Well, when I first started, you know, I was so hopeful that if one book would get published that I didn't even, I wasn't even looking at book two and three. Of course, I knew there was more story than I wanted to tell. But as far as any like concrete plans, it was mostly just like really vague stuff. And it wasn't until we got the book deal that we started saying, okay, let's really take a hard look at book two and three and kind of set where we're going to go from here. And from there is when I really kind of planned out the overarching story of where I wanted to go with the books. But when I first started, man, I was just so, so, just so happy to get one person to look at it, one book. I was just like, let me just focus all on this. But once we got the book deals, when I kind of said, okay, let me, let me sit down and make sure everything makes sense and everything kind of flows in a whole three book story. How long did it take you to write Amari, the first installment? I think I started in 2013 or 2014 and we didn't sell a book until 2019. So it was just something I was just kind of like playing around with over the years. Did anything really surprise you while you were writing Amari and the Knight Brothers? I think a lot of the characters surprised me. Like there's, I guess the big twist in the book was not in the book at the beginning. <laughs> that was something where I was like, you know what, what if this happened? Oh, I don't think I've ever seen that happen. Let me just do it and see what happens. <laughs> I get the most missions about the big twist in the book. <laughs> and this kid's like, why did that happen? Or yes, I'm glad it happened. And so I think a lot of the characters surprise you um, just because you, you go into it thinking you're going to make them this way. They're going to follow this storyline. They're going to end up right here. And as you're writing, they kind of want to do their own thing. Like, well, yeah, it makes sense at the beginning. But now that we added this element, they're going to want to do this here. And so kind of have to follow them where they go just to make sure that it makes sense. And so I think the characters are probably the most surprising for me, where they they started and where they ended up. (laughs) Who showed up after Amari? 
You said earlier Amari was the first character. To Amari show. was definitely the first kid. I think, I think Quentin was the next character because uh-huh. once I got Amari, it was like, okay, so why is Amari going to this world? And then that's right. when I started thinking, well, what would draw her into this world? Why would, after, after 12 years of being, you know, a regular kid, why would she all of a sudden want to go through the supernatural world? And that's where I got the idea of Quentin, you know, that he's the older brother she looks up to. He's good at everything. And she's kind of been in his shadow. And she's, he's kind of in her crutch too, because she hasn't had to go out and really make friends and stuff because she could always allow her brother to be there. And so once I've had Quentin, it was just kind of off to the races. <laughs> what have you learned from your readers? You said your readers have reached out to you, educators and mm-hmm. the 8 to 11 set. Adults are mostly happy that their kids are reading. <laughs> That's what I get from the adults. They're like, oh, you know, my, my kids are a reluctant reader. They weren't really into books. When I gave them your books, they, they really latched onto it. I think that's probably the most meaningful thing I hear from adults. It's like, oh, your book made my kid want to read. And that's just, because so many books did that for me, that that's really important to me. Educators seem more into the themes and the overarching messages as far as like a kid being from that background and, and learning to believe in themselves. I've kind of learned that, you know, each kind of set has their own thing that they really to them. Um, most of the kids, they just, they want to know more about the world. I think they're just really excited. Aside from like, oh, why did this twist happen? They're more interested in, okay, so how does this work? And how does that work? And how does this part work? And so they're really invested in the world. And that's been really gratifying for me. <laughs> What's a question your readers haven't asked you that surprises <sighs> you that they haven't asked? Hmm, that's a really good question. I get so many mentions. I'm not sure what they haven't asked. Um, I get such a wide range. Not a lot of them ask about Quentin, kind of his years at the Bureau. I think that'd be kind of fun to write in another story. Maybe that'd be something they might want to read one day. I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> I was guessing we might see a little bit of his backstory in the next two books. That's sort oh, of what sure. I was counting on. <laughs> <For sure>. <laughs> <laughs> we know you're working on the second volume now, The mm-hmm. Mario and the Great Game, which I'm very excited about. Mm-hmm. When are you thinking you're going to put the third installment into the world? I mean, you're writing at a much faster clip than you did. Oh, a hundred times faster. <laughs> Just like pick it up and put it down. I'm, I'm hoping maybe April 2023, like maybe a year later. That's not cross my fingers. I um, hope it comes out in that time frame, but no later than maybe the middle of 2023. It, can't, it won't be any later than that. I want to be close to a year as possible. That's my hope. Sounds like a lot. <laughs> as a reader, yeah. I'm excited, but that sounds like a lot. <laughs> it's, it's a lot, but you know, I, I, I don't want to make the readers wait too long, you know? So I'm, I want to try to give them that a reasonable clip where they're, they're still invested in this characters and they can still remember what happened in the last book. <laughs> so you've always been a big reader. Mm-hmm, absolutely. I've always been a big reader. Obviously, that's how <laughs> I ended up being a bookseller. But how do people like you and I get reluctant readers to join in on the fun? I think the biggest part of it is it's just giving them books that they, they want to read. I can remember being in school and being in elementary school, they would give us books and we were all excited to read it. And then kind of as we grew up, kind of getting forced to read certain books that maybe you're not as interested, you can't relate to as much. I think kids kind of lose that love for reading a little bit. I don't want to you know, minimize those books. Those books are really important as far as what they, the themes and what they teach kids. But I think kind of mixing in even graphic novels, something that excites them to read. I think that's so important. Just give them that the option. Okay, we read this book that was really important. Now let's read a book that you're really excited about. And I think just kind of mixing it in. I think that's huge for kids and keeping them lifelong readers. I want to go back to something we touched on earlier, but I think we didn't totally answer the question. Who are some of the writers who really made you want to be a writer? I mean, Um, we talked about the writers who inspired you to be a reader, mm -hmm. but who are the writers that at whatever point in your life made you think, oh, this is what I want to do. And not just because you were born in in pre-med classes. I love that part of the story. (laughs) I didn't know that part of the story, but I think it's great that you were born in pre-med and decided to write a children's (laughs) book. That's really good. (laughs) 
Honestly, the same writers of the books that, I, that made me want to be a reader, the same books that made me want to be a writer. I was like exclusively a fantasy fan just because those books kind of sparked my imagination. But, you know, the Roald Dolls and Rick Riordan, that's another huge one that I read. And more recently, even like uh, Angie Thomas and the Nick Stone. I remember when I was writing this book, when I came out, there weren't a lot of fantasy books with um, African-American kids in them. And so when I set out to write this one, I was like, how much of myself can I put in it? And will anybody want to publish it? And so kind of reading their books, it's like, okay, well, you know, I can put as much as me as I want. And then, and that's what you should do. And so I think those are really important to me as a writer, just this um, other writers that inspired me and kind of you know, helped me with my writing for sure. Bibi Amari and the Knight Brothers isn't the only book that you have right now in stores. You are part of an incredible anthology called Black Boy Joy, which was edited by Kwame Mabalia, who's the author of the Tristan Strong series, which we're also very big fans of at Barnes and Noble. How did that collaboration come about? Kwame did my book launch with me. And so that's kind of how we met. And then since then, we've, you know, we've been Twitter friends and kind of back and forth. And then he came to me with a project and he's trying to put together you know, 17 uh, African American male identifying authors. Instead of the stereotypes of what you see for, um, for Black male, we want to kind of go against that and trying to show joy and celebration. And so, I mean, once I heard that, I was in, you know? And so he, he managed to get so many great authors like Jerry Craft and Jason Reynolds and Justin Reynolds and all those huge authors. And so I, I think we did something really special and um, it was a lot, a lot of fun to write for sure. <laughs> I'm seeing a lot of photos on social media, beaming faces, little boys yeah. with this book. And it just makes me so happy to see. Oh, man, it's so awesome to see, for sure. <laughs> it has a great jacket, great writer, certainly, but mm-hmm. also great jacket. And little guys are responding to this book. And Absolutely. Really, it's so <laughs> important. Do you have any advice for writers who are just starting out? And this is your first book and you've seen a lot of success. Probably more than I ever thought I'd see in my whole life, honestly. For me, I think the most important thing as a young writer is to write something and write the stories that excite you. I think if you get too focused on, I, I need to write this to get a book deal. I need to write this to get this result. Instead of writing what excites you, I think you can kind of get lost in the weeds a little bit. So I think if you write something, writing a story that excites you, makes you want to get up and write every day or however often you're able to write. I think at the end of that, you'll come with at least a joyful experience and you're learning and you're getting better. And so I think finding that subject or whatever your unique story is, the thing about you that makes the story go, if you find that that's the kind of story, maybe maybe you like writing horror stories and you just love kind of scare people. When you write that horror story, you write those scenes and you're having you know, all those fun writing it. I think at the end of the day, you, you at least have a, a story you enjoy writing and an experience. And so much of, so much of writing is the journey, you know? And so to make that journey as, as fun as possible, I think that's really important and kind of sustaining your love for writing. And you know, you'll never get tired of writing. It'll always be fun for you. That's my advice. <laughs> Sounds pretty good to me. (laughs) What do you want parents and guardians and grandparents and aunties and uncles and older siblings and educators to know about Amari Peters and the Knight Brothers and the Supernatural Investigations series? Amari is a pretty great little girl. I think it's just a message of kindness. I think, like I said earlier, more than just all this amazing, fantastical stuff and cool worlds and things like that. It's just a story about a kid learning to believe in himself and learn to accept himself. And I think the overall message is just to be kind. It's, it's, it's so easy to otherize somebody who doesn't think like you or doesn't feel like you or maybe doesn't look like you. And so I think the overall message is just to give that person a chance. And hopefully that person gives you a chance too, especially in today's world where we're so divided. I think any kind of book that teaches kids to, you know, kind of extend a hand of friendship instead of immediately seeing that person is, okay, you're not like me in this way. You know, you're my, you know, a total enemy, you know, because we're, we're so much more alike than we are different. And so any kind of book that does that, I think is, is important. And so hopefully that message has come through in my book as well. It does. 
Oh, oh. yes, it does. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes, very much so. <laughs> and it's obvious that you love your characters and you love this world and you had quite a lot of fun. I was laughing out loud. These kids are, <laughs> these kids are wild. It's also a book I would have really appreciated at age 12. Mm-hmm. And so just a nod out there to the adults who are buying books for tiny people. <laughs> this is probably something you wanted when you were younger too. But you have a great line in your bio that also made me laugh for all the right reasons. And the line is, when not writing, he, B.B. Alston, can be found eating too many sweets and exploring country roads to see where they lead. I happen to love road trips. I happen to love being in the car all the time. So two questions. What are the sweets and where are you going? And what's your favorite recent drive? So I guess that's three questions. (laughs) The the sweets can really range from any, I'm not really picky. If it's chocolate, I'll eat it. (laughs) I love Skittles too. And honestly, I'm, those people, if I'm, if I'm right in a row and I see a row I have never seen, I have never gone down before, I have to go down that road squarely. I think I did that one time and I, <laughs> I had a full day. Me and my wife were just riding. I'm like, you know, what, what does that road lead? I went down that road like two hours later, we were still on that same road and we hit the interstate like, well, <laughs> that's where it led. <laughs> and so we were like, you know, a whole different side of the state. And then we, you know, we had a day to kill. That's just so much fun to me. Just kind of going on little adventures, kind of see where stuff is and seeing a part of the state or wherever you are that you hadn't seen before. But I did that just yesterday morning. It wasn't that long, of course. It was like maybe like 10 minutes. I hope that's something I can always do. It's always been fun to me to see, you know, just see what's out there, you know, beyond what I've seen. Sounds like a pretty great metaphor for writing. Yeah, for sure, right? <laughs> Phoebe Alston, thank you so much. Your first novel is Amari and the Knight Brothers. It is the overall winner of the Barnes & Noble Children's and YA Book Awards this year. We are delighted you could make the show and we cannot wait for the second installment, Amari and the Great Game, which is coming in 2022. Awesome. It was so great to be here. Thanks for having me. Pour It Over is a Barnes & Noble production. The show is available on Apple, Spotify, and Stitcher. Please rate and review us wherever you listen to podcasts. <laughs>